Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. It's Stanford Week. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football. What we saw on Saturday when the Trojans took on UNLV. We got Keely Yor in studio. What's up, Keely? Hello. And we got Dan. Oh, sorry. We got Dan Weber on the line. What's up, Dan? Uh, not much, uh, except for Stanford. <laughs> Stanford week. It's going to be big one. So practice will be out there today. We're going to answer your questions about the game. There's a lot of people that were concerned, uh, as you could imagine, what's going on there. You know, it's a 22, 23 point win, whatever it is, and uh, people concerned. But that's the way it is. <laughs> we'll see. But, you know, if you beat Stanford, please don't be concerned. But anyway, if you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. We got a ton an absolute ton of questions in this week. Um, you can also text or leave us a voicemail. We'll play those too. 424-254-9141 is the number. That's 424-254-9141. And we mentioned the Stanford game. If you want to go up there, football's back. You want to go to the weekender, you need to go to SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. If you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, Perfect gift for your loved one. SeatGeek will help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. So it's designed to make your ticket buying experience a lot easier than ever. So it'll search multiple ticket sites, and it'll grade every ticket based on value. It'll help you immediately identify the best seats that fit in your budget. I'm looking at the SeatGeek app right now. $116, uh, the best deal. It's in row A. Um, I think that's section 118. The lowest price, though, I'll give you that too, $89. So uh, different range you can get on the app to if you want to go up for the USC Stanford game and check it out. So I was using that on my phone. All of our listeners are going to get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. So if you want to go to the game, you can get $20 off. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code USC today. That's promo code USC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. All right. Now, we don't need tickets because we're going to be up there in the press box and Keeley on the field. It's true. It should. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this. It's kind of I didn't even think about this, Keeley. It's like it's the weekender, but it's like the second week of the season, which is weird. It's fast. It's it's a, a quick intro into Pac-12 football. Second week of the, of the year. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Um, and then so, Dan, we want to talk about the game on UNLV. We want to talk about Stanford a little bit. But we kind of have to mention Friday, we had a little get-together on campus, which, you know, we weren't sure how it was going to go. Trader Joe's partnered with us. They were great. And we got to meet a lot of the listeners, a lot of the fans from the the message board. Uh, What did you think of that little meet and greet? It was pretty fun. That was great. I mean, it's so good to put a face to the, the, you know, the different posters or somebody would say, and they would whisper their, uh, you know, uh, name on the board. Uh, that's who, oh, okay, that's you. Uh, but it was amazing how many, uh, uh, I think we lucked into the fact that that was a day uh, for the Alumni Board of Governors meeting. So an awful lot of those people 
who were on the alumni board are also on the peristyle board, which is, is pretty cool. Cause, uh, and then a lot of them stayed around for the jock rally, which I think, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, USC just, the jock rally has always been just, you know, for the players and families and, you know, uh, band and song girls and all that. And, uh, so it's, it's kind of neat, you know, to, uh, to get to be part of that. So I thought, I thought it was a great day. It was great to have all the Trader Joe's people there. Uh, you know, that's just, uh, that was really a, really a good, good event. I mean, terrific event. Got to see a lot of cool people. Yeah, they uh, they brought out a bunch of snacks. Those, my favorite. I, so this was special. John brought these special for me. The uh, the peanut butter cups. So we had a lot of peanut butter cups. I made a mistake of taking like four bags of those. <laughs> so I've been eating them all weekend long. That was a bad. They're so good though. I love them. They are really really good. And uh, yeah, so that I had a bunch of those. I still have I still have a few more at home. We gave away. I think it was six hundred of the Trader Joe's bags. Wow. So people showed up. So. It was supposed to start at three. Some people started showing up like at two forty-five to come pick up. Like one that was a TA from uh, from USC that was teaching and like, hey, you know, I thought people were just going to come late and check out the jock rally, but the people came early to get the bags and they wanted to beat the traffic homes. So they weren't sticking around, so we had a whole bunch of people before even three o'clock, before even the event started. So I, th- I thought that was kind of funny. You think people were coming out for us, but it's really the bags. Just no, the, the Trader bags, Joe bags. The bags were 100% the biggest draw. Like it was, you know. Hey, whatever works. And, uh, yeah, but, and then there, there were a, a bunch of selfies taken, too. I'll, I will say this. That was, uh, oh, and, yeah. and Ryan, Ryan did uh, spare one uh, peanut butter cup for me. So, uh, <laughs> so that was pretty nice. I did go hand them out, tried to hand them out to people, but I, they, they gave me like, as soon as I got there, they gave me like four bags to like take home myself. So I'm like, all right, this is uh good. Yeah. We took a lot of pictures. Thanks to uh former uh, Trojan tight end and former Cleveland Brown, Rand- Randall Telfer. He showed up. Uh, it's cool. He just retired, uh, medically retired from the NFL. We had Sean Cody, who you can hear on the pre and post game. Uh, he came out thanks to Sean and then Ben Malcolmson, uh, former USC walk on has been Pete Carroll's right hand man for, a decade or so now and has a new book out called walk on. We had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago. So it's cool that those guys came out, took pictures with people. Um, we had a good time. And of course the Trader Joe's bags were like the huge, the huge draw, but it was fun. So uh, if you made it out, that's cool. Um, thanks for, for coming. We put some pictures up and stuff. If you want to check it out, um, see what you missed there. I know a lot of people, it's hard to get that, you know, Friday afternoon on yeah. a holiday weekend, but a bunch of people came. So it was great that, uh, we saw that. Um, well, the next day after Friday, there was actual football to be played dun, dun, dun. in the Coliseum. New press box was kind of strange. Uh, the field wasn't any different, right, Keely? It was about the same. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the press box was definitely different. We were a lot closer to the field. Uh, easier to get down to the field, Dan. Um, that was kind of interesting. Uh, I but- mean, with the way people started leaving, you don't have as far to go, but you still have to fight your way down uh, because the uh, the railings actually make life a little more difficult in terms of everybody is coming out and we have to go down. So uh, so there was a little bit of that, but at least you had something to hold on to uh, as you fought your way through, and you didn't have to go that far. So uh, some uh, yeah, some pluses. You don't have to leave so early as you did from the other uh, press box. So that's a good thing. Yeah, I actually, I, so I left a little bit later than you. I kind of waited till the big crowds got away. So I was still like maybe two, three minutes left in the game when I went down. We could, so if you don't know, in the press box, we're not allowed to go on the field until five minutes left 
in the game. So if you if you have a field pass for shooting video or photos, you can be on the field the whole game. But if you're working in the press box, you can't. You have to wait till five minutes left. I think, Dan, you went right around the five-minute mark. I waited till like the two-minute mark, and by then, most of the people were gone, so I could kind of just walk down there. But we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. We're kind of figuring it out. But the game, we want to talk about the game. And uh, we had a voicemail question that kind of gave some some summaries here, and I thought it'd be a good way for the three of us to start talking about it. So I'll play it for you now. Hi, this is Trent from uh, Chandler, Arizona. I just wanted to give my impression on game one for USC. Uh, I kind of hope to be the voice of reason in the, you know, probably a sea of angry USC fans when things start out about the same that they ended over the last season. But uh, hopefully that was just the bare bones game plan uh, when dealing with UNLV prior to a big Stanford and Texas game. Um, you know, I'm willing to give the coaches a pass on this one as long as we see a little more robust uh, game plan in the next couple games. I mean, it was pretty uninspiring in the run game on both sides of the ball. But maybe they're trying to save some run schemes for Bryce Love. I mean, they're not as worried about UNLV. Um, but you really got to be more physical on the offensive line, despite, you know, some good rushing numbers. It still wasn't an inspiring rushing attack. Didn't look dominant like Oklahoma looked like against FAU uh, earlier in the day. I mean, that's what you want to look like in the run game. Uh, I thought J.C. Daniels was – Really good, uh, great first start, and you know you could see his connection with St. Brown, and you could tell he was off with Tyler Vaughn and some of the other receivers. But I think you know not having a ton of reps with them in fall practice, it'll only get better from here, and he'll start to build some more chemistry. Uh, the route tree still looks limited, but hopefully that expands over the next game. Uh, and then I had a quick question: Do you think uh, Max or Matt Fink was named the backup because he's more likely to stick around than Jack Sears? following the season so they just want to get him the backup reps thanks fight on i think that'd be a guess uh it makes some sense uh matt but if you're going to bring somebody in you you might want to go with the um uh you know if that happens during a game or during the middle of a game week you might want to go with the more experienced guy and when they did talk about the quarterback situation after it was decided when they got to Jack, they kind of talked about getting into the playbook. And, and so those are, you know, we don't, we're not in on those quarterback meetings, you know, so we don't, we don't know those issues, but, uh, but it might've been a playbook playbook thing. Whereas if you had a whole week to decide who has to go in, uh, you might come up with a different decision. But, but I think, uh, I think it was just, uh, there was where the experience and, uh, having been around the program probably, uh, you know, plays in, in Matt's favor, but, uh, I mean, we can, you know, we can all speculate that it's also about the fact that Matt's probably a much less of a candidate to uh, to transfer than Jack is. I mean, you know, they basically have said that Matt's not going to transfer, and he can get a, you know, get his degree, he can graduate transfer still, but uh, but Jack, you know, could have left with three years to go if he'd have left right away. I'm not sure where that stands right now, but he'd have a minimum of two years. Uh, eligibility somewhere else. So, uh, so that might play into it, but I think it might be just the uh, experience thing with, uh, with Matt. Yeah, dad. And, uh, Trent, thanks for the question. And the, the, he gave his little recap of the game. I think, you know, pretty reasonable, uh, stuff there. The, the Matt Fink, um, question is interesting because we saw him come in there, uh, not just in, you know, scrub time. He came in for a play in the red zone and Clay Helton said that that's something that they were going to do. Um, if that was Jack Sears, if he was the number two guy. So I think 
you know, just being the backup, there's some significance there, Dan, because you 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 might see that player one, two, three, I don't know, four plays a game, something like that. Uh, we'll see what they do, but um, it'll be Matt Fink now instead of Jack Sears. Let's hope we don't see that play again. <laughs> Were you not a fan or of that, that Dan? I, I, that I, I wasn't a fan again. I think it was one of the worst uh, strategic decisions that I've ever seen in college football. I mean, you're, wow. you're on the eight-yard line. That's a Second down, you're on the eight-yard line, and you put a guy in, and you run the one thing that everybody in the stadium and certainly everybody wearing UNIV uniform knew that he was going to do with an option keep. I mean, it's just that was, you know, you want to put him in and do something cool, you know, have him, have him throw the ball off the, you know, the run pass option. Uh, I mean, uh, let him get out there and really run, you know, run an option. But uh, I just don't think you take J- uh, JT Daniels out when he gets inside the 10-yard line. You need him. I mean, he hasn't gotten enough reps to begin with. The three-way quarterback battle made that a guarantee, you know, during August. But you can't take him out. Uh, once you get him down inside the 10 yard line. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. Okay. I don't think they'll do it again. Uh, Especially with the red zone. Problems, one of those, right? one of those yeah. ideas that must have come up in the meeting and somebody said, yeah, we did that with Sam Donald two years ago. Uh, that was a really different situation. I mean, come on. Uh, uh, so that was a really bad idea. Don't ever do it again. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, well, I guess we should probably get to some of the, we got a lot of the, the novels we have written as in yeah. question form. Uh, let's go to Jared who says, I thought JT Daniels played very well Saturday given he was a true freshman, i.e. no big mistakes, made some nice deep throws in the second half. He says his only concern is that it looks at, looks as if Daniels is looking only at his primary receiver most of the time. He mentions that play where, uh, Michael Pittman was wide open and, and JT elects to go to Croman Hook. He says, based on what uh, has been seen in practice, is JT consistently going through a progression, or is he mainly looking at the primary receiver? No, he's he he looks the whole field. He, I mean, one of the best things he does, one of the things that he does better than maybe any quarterback we've seen at USC, uh, other than Matt Leinart, and and just because there was such a different situation when Matt Leinart was here, he sees the whole field. I mean, he doesn't lock in, um, you know, on a receiver. Uh, I mean, if he doesn't see somebody it might be because his you know his vision is blocked or whatever but uh but i think that might be the least of your worries about jt uh daniels is that he's going to lock in on somebody because uh you know i mean he i mean there are times when you just know somebody's going to be open and maybe that doesn't happen and as a as a rookie uh you know that may occasionally happen but uh i don't think that's that's ever going to be a problem with jt he's looking for where he can get the ball to somebody uh, uh, who's the most open with the most ability to get the ball downfield. He's not afraid to throw it into a tight window, though, and that's that's a little different. I mean, you could look like you're locked in, but what you're locked in on is throwing it through that tight window. So uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch him develop because he hasn't, again, he's had to share reps. He basically got a third of the reps that maybe he would have gotten you know, if he were the, you know, uh, returning starter, let's say. So um, from now on, I think uh, you know, we should see some, um, we should see some, if they practice properly, I think they had a really good practice two Wednesdays ago when they were pass heavy, but they had a really bad practice last Wednesday when they, you know, kind of played powder puff, uh, you know, football, nobody challenged anybody. 
and they didn't throw the ball very much. I thought that was a mistake. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Uh, as the year plays out, maybe the you know, V game doesn't, doesn't mean all that much. But, uh, but I, I, I'm not worried at all about him locking in, no. It will be interesting to see if we see more throwing on Tuesday's practice or Wednesday's uh, based on what we saw on Saturday, if they make any uh, practice adjustments based on the game. Well, yeah, I, I would like to see them do more, uh, throw the ball to set up the run, to be honest. Uh, and you just don't think this offensive line is physical enough, aggressive enough, and just tough enough that you can pretty much depend on if you call the play, they're going to get it done. That's just not who these guys are. And, you know, we've seen too much uh, penetration from the defense. Uh, we've seen too much uh, where, you know, the play breaks down at the line of scrimmage at times. And yet, you know, the running backs all had really good games. So um, maybe there'll be a slight, let's maybe, you know, throw the ball to set up the run. Uh, because once you get people back on their heels a little bit, defending the pass or trying to get to the quarterback, I think you can, you can gash it and run the ball, and, uh, which is what they did in the fourth quarter. Uh, Joan has a question about the offensive line. She says, what did you see different, if anything, between the first half and the second half as far as the offensive line goes, as far as adjustments? Is that Joan from formerly of Idaho? No, Joan Levis. That's our Joan. Oh, is that, uh, oh. Hey, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I know it probably looked different. I don't know that it was the offensive line that was that different. I think that they, they uh, started calling uh, quick, quick strike stuff and the kind of things that JT really does well, the slants and, and just much more, you know, quick, quick hitting stuff. And, uh, and just thought that changes, you know, the tempo of the game. I mean, it it just, they, they speeded up the game. They went to their strengths. Uh, I didn't think they were quite as much. Well, let's try this. So let's try that. Let's try. They, they seemed like they had a, you know, a flow to the offense. And I think that always helps your offensive line. Uh, you know, I just, uh, I mean, I think that's the way USC has to play. They ran, I think, a total of 73 plays, 70, uh, uh, 35 passes, 38 runs. And it turned out, thank God, nobody even said the word balance after the game, <laughs> which was really one of the great, you know, blessings of Saturday. But I think they need to run more than 73 plays. I think this is a team that needs to play fast. They've got enough people to play fast and they need to make people defend uh, you know, their weapons more. And, uh, I don't think they, they did that enough. And I think, you know, again, it has to happen in practice as well. You'd like to have seen, uh, JT, uh, and, uh, say the two lead receivers, Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn's have had more throws in practice. Uh, I mean, they've had a, a decent number with Tyler. Michael's been hurt, but, uh, I think they need to make up for that so that they, they, these guys all get really get on the same page. I mean, it's obvious uh, JT's on the same page with Amon Ra, and then Trevon Sidney uh, kind of put himself on the same page with, with some of the catches that, you know, that he made. But I think they need everybody uh, to be on the same page. And I, I think that's a big, uh, I think, big emphasis this week. We have an interesting submission from Tyler. He says, help, I think I may need psychotherapy. After Saturday's game, I found myself saying things like, a win's a win, and look at UCLA and Texas. It's a t- it's tough to win. Then I thought, oh no, this sounds familiar, as in all of last season. Why do even our wins have a meh vibe to them? Are my ex- 
Are my expectations too high? Are the days of crushing lesser teams over? Is it just a different football world? Am I wrong to expect USC to be as consistent as Bama, Georgia, Clemson, OSU type program? Help. Any words of wisdom? Well, that's a good take. Uh, uh, no, you're not wrong to expect that, uh, but you're not also not going to be wrong if you don't get it. Uh, I mean, I, I, USC football is, is a classic you know, that opener was a classic, uh, glasses half full, half, half empty because, um, look at the two votes that came out today. Uh, AP dropped them to what, 17 and, uh, the coaches moved them up to 12. So same poll, same teams, same weekend. And one group of voters moved USC up. One group dropped them down. Uh, and you could make the case that, yeah, I saw enough in that game to drop them down. I saw enough in that case to move, you know, game to move them up. Uh, get used to it. You know, it's USC football. I mean, <laughs> you, just, you know, that's, that's, that's who they are. Here's what you could, you could also say with the coaches poll, USC is 12th in the nation in the coaches poll. If you're like a lot of USC fans and you like to look across town, the team across town is 11th in the Pac-12 poll uh, of the uh, 24/7 publishers. Isn't that right, Ryan? Aren't they? Yeah, aren't I think they're 11th, 11. I think we actually so, uh, for the podcast of champions, <laughs> we put them 12. Well, Dave, Dave, Dave Woods, who covers UCLA, maybe it was a little something there, but he put them 12th uh, behind Oregon State. Yeah, because wow. Oregon that, State okay. looked they looked okay <laughs> against Ohio State, even though they gave yeah, up 77. But they played better. Like you could argue they played better than what UCLA played. That you're was David's right. argument. Yeah. So you're you're talking. Uh, one team is twelfth in the country, and the other team is twelfth in the Pac-12. <laughs> if you just want to keep it in in the city limits, you know, city of LA, you can kind of uh, that'll get you through the week. I hope. Don wants us to discuss um, three things that were supposed to be. Uh, focused in fall camp and over the season, but are very concerning issues coming out of the game. And Dan, you and I actually talked about this in our instant analysis, but it's essentially one, the defense giving up too many big chunk plays, uh, two, lack of physicality in the trenches, and three, special teams. So that doesn't seem like areas that got much improvement, in his opinion. See, I think the special teams are taking a bad hit. I mean, I, and I know we, uh, our grade, our grader also hit them pretty hard. If you're five of five field goals with 46 and 47 yarders, you by almost definition can't have a bad day on special teams no matter what else happens. You scored 15 points, 19 if you count the extra points, uh, special teams points. So for the, for starters, you already did. I mean, that's the best field goal day, Todd, you know, history of USC. Secondly, uh, the punt returns exceedingly improved just because Tyler Vaughn's has a knack. I mean, he just, you know, relaxes and then he finds a seam and he gets to it and no big deal. Uh, one really good kickoff return with the two best blocks of the whole game. Uh, so that's, uh, that's really a good job. The Alex Stathouse, the Austin, Texas walk on and just crushed the ball into the end zone. So that's ten, seven out of 10, uh, uh, uh kickoffs into the end zone that, that weren't returnable. So then you had a really bad job on the uh, fake punt where they evidently lined up in the same, you know, uh, stack formation that gives you a chance to, to get a block. And I'm surprised they would do that with a fourth and one. And everybody in the world is saying, watch a fake punt uh, where they were on the field. And then you had uh, had the punting, which uh, 
I still, I mean, I, I saw the first swing that poor Reed Reed uh, took at that first punt, and I thought, what in the world? His foot came in from like left field. It was like he was trying to kick it 127 yards, and then he kicked it like seven. Uh, you, you just that was shocking. Okay, but I think I think we're overplaying that. I mean, Clay couldn't keep talking about it at his uh, in his conference call Sunday night. Uh, but I thought special teams in general were pretty decent. I mean, I thought they got four really good performances, uh, you know, in special teams. So if you can get four, you just, I mean, obviously you can't have a nine yard punt or whatever it was. And, uh, uh, and, you know, you can't have the fake punt, but, uh, I, I would not downgrade them for special teams, but, uh, we disagree, man. We disagree. <laughs> <laughs> They yeah. did have I mean, they have two penalties. <laughs> there was like two 10, 15 yard penalties, and they put Chuck and said nine or ten man out on a PAT also. So that was there was some bad, you know. I don't and I, it was funny. We had uh Conk Howard on our little show yesterday. So go check that out if you didn't. And he was kind of on the in the same boat. And to me, I like things like that. I like, you know, obviously the five field goals and stuff is good. But I think when you're as talented as USC, I don't want to see the special teams have these you know, just huge waves up and down where you have, Oh, there's a couple of like amazing plays. And then like a couple of really terrible plays. Like I'd rather just be like, they're pretty good. And then every once in a while you have a good play. Like you don't need to be great followed by terrible every game. Cause there's just these wild swings. The thing that I keep coming back to is for how much they practice special teams. They, yeah. It shouldn't be as inconsistent or have as many swings. It should yeah. be at least you're good. And then that sometimes you're great. You know, <laughs> well, I, don't. I don't think they had any swings on the four, four areas they were good all the way through uh you know on punt return and kickoff return and uh and kickoff and uh what do we uh and obviously place kicking i mean so i think those four that's four pretty solid and then two really not solid obviously two you know the one coverage team and the one uh and the one punt but if you get four that are good i mean i i like those were good i mean that they picked alex that I remember talking to the two kickers, the two scholarship kickers, and saying, boys, how does this two-man race go? And they said, oh, no, it's a three-man race. You got to, you know, and they weren't wrong. And we hadn't seen them do much live kicking off. So they got that one right. But what so about I'll the, give them that. Sorry, yeah. Dan. What about the two other things that, that Don talked about, the defense giving up big chunks of plays and lack of, lack of physicality in the trenches? It doesn't look any different, does it? I mean, it just nothing's changed. You know, they guys, uh, for example, you know, the, on the uh, uh, fake uh, reverse where Lexington Thomas just keeps it and just keeps running. And a couple of the young guys are saying, well, we heard somebody call out reverse. Very often on plays like that, that the offense calls out reverse. They want you to think it's going to be a reverse because it's not. And, uh, that was like, those are really rookie mistakes. I mean, you just can't. I mean, first of all, if you're the, the far edge guy on a play that's going to go reverse to the other side, you're not catching them anyway. You're not, you don't need to start heading across field because you're not going to get there. You got to do your responsibility. And I think that's, that's the, the downfall of, of Clancy's defenses are, as Cameron Smith said after the game, all 11 guys have to execute on every play. And if you break down, and that's what we saw all of last year when USC, you know, practically led the country and, and, 
you know, giving up plays of, uh, you know, 20 yards or more, 30 yards or more, 40 yards or more. Uh, and there they are again. Yeah, no, no discernible. Now, the only difference you could say for uh, Saturday was they did play a whole bunch of more, more guys. They had, what, 26 or 27 guys that got credit for tackles. So, and that, you know, the, the reverse, the 71 yard non reverse was against the, uh, the second group. So, you know, you're going to have some of those if you get more of the people in. They did do the rotations that they said they were going to do. Maybe, maybe not all as much as we thought, but, uh, but they were in there. So, uh, and yeah, the, uh, the other thing is the physicality up front. I was kind of, I, I think with the offensive line, it was kind of what you, that's what we see. That's what they do in practice. That's what they did last year. It's who they are. It's why saying everybody's back doesn't necessarily, you know, isn't necessarily a positive thing. But I thought the defensive line didn't play every play really fast and really aggressive. I mean, you could see Jay Tafelli has the one really good swim move in the sack and all of that. But I'm not sure I saw that all the way across that that line with those with those good young players all the time. I, I saw too much where uh, they were herded in one direction and they couldn't quite, you know, get back into the, uh, into their lanes, for example. And you saw big lanes open up where, you know, all of them kind of got pushed to one side and, and things just opened up. And that was, uh, I, I, I'm thinking maybe some of those guys are carrying a little bit more weight than they need to be carrying and, and, and need to get a little more athletic. Uh, you just don't like to see. I mean, I think Rogers and, and, and Thomas were as, that's as good a running back combination as you're going to see. I mean, and I'm, you know, including Khalil Matt, you know, Khalil, uh, uh, Tate from, uh, Arizona as a quarterback. I thought Rogers was, uh, was especially, you know, effective as a running back. I think Thomas could play for anybody, you know, in the Pac 12. Uh, but, uh, you know, got to do a better job than that. We have a question from Tark who says, if Helton wants to have a physical team, shouldn't he practice in full pads twice a week until USC is just as physical as Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, etc.? Physicality, especially on the offensive line, doesn't just happen. Well, they'll never be as physical. The way things are now, they'll never be as physical as Alabama, and I'm not sure anybody will. They just look different. They they just have different kind of players. They're you know You put it all together. They're everything that they do, but you could be in that you want to be in that next level up uh you know you want to be there with ohio state you want to be there with clemson and they're not close to that and yeah i think you got to practice like that and i think you gotta i don't think there's anything wrong with going in pads uh you know twice a week um i i just i would do that this week i'd love to see him come out in pads on wednesday uh with you know thinking that you know i'm going to play in pads on saturday and they're going to play in, you know, a team that really believes in playing in pads. USC should have better athletes than, than Stanford has most, most places. And if USC can play, you know, at the speed that USC, USC's athletes lined up against Stanford's athletes, USC should have better athletes. They should be able to play faster. But if you don't practice that way, I think you really, you know, you really put yourself, you handicap yourself going into games. I thought they didn't play very fast starting out against UNLV. I thought UNLV was more ready to play 
than USC was. They were better prepared, it looked like to me, you know, for that game. You know, by the end, it's like a lot of games. USC has more players. And they, they're in pretty good shape. You've you got to give USC credit that way in terms of conditioning. It looks like they're able to keep, keep playing or, you know, even on, you know, on defense, now that they're playing more players, um, they're able to, you know, keep playing you know, to the end where other teams can't. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I think a lot of our guys are, do understand what, what they saw. You know, they saw some good things and they saw some things that are, uh, are concerns. And there might be a, a case that there was some vanilla, uh, to the, uh, game plans, both sides with what's coming up. And that kind of, you know, holds you back to, you know, really develop something. But you still want to attack people at the line of scrimmage, and you didn't see that. Yeah, we have a question from Neil from Manila, an international question. We like those. Yeah, we do. Uh, He says, are the red zone problems and the explosive plays flaws of a scheme that USC runs? Well, I think there are flaws in that they don't have exactly a personality. I mean, so you get... For example, you get second and goal on the eight and you bring in another quarterback or you get third and uh, what was it? Third and three on the 18. And instead of saying, hey, we're going to run it twice, three yards, we're good. You try a really difficult fade over a couple of people. Uh, one of those plays, it's re- I mean, you know, I don't mind throwing the fade. I don't, I'm not crazy about it throwing it kind of down the middle, uh, from the 18. And then you got to kick a field goal. Uh, I think those are issues of maybe not exactly knowing who you are, knowing what you can do. We don't care what we're going to, you know, we got two, two plays to get three yards and we're down close. We're going to get those three yards. The fact that you're kind of not sure you can do that, I think is a worry. Uh, and then the idea with, uh, you know, with a defense that's a little bit high risk and that everybody has to be on the same page and everybody has to do their, you know, their responsibility. And if they don't, you know, you can get, you can get lit up. Well, they got lit up, uh, because people didn't all do what they were supposed to do, uh, on, on those, uh, you know, big chunk plays. And, uh, that's, uh, that's a little worrisome, except for the fact that they are running in uh, more new people. It better get better fast. That's all. I mean, you, you've got an excuse for a game or two, but uh, but if they're going to be out there and in the rotation, they better be able to totally do what what they're supposed to do. And uh, we didn't see that all the way uh, Saturday. Yeah, I think you got. I mean, the red zone is extremely important. I mean, you can't. You know, we've seen it was a few years ago when Stanford. I think it was uh, Ed Orgeron's team that beat Stanford. Like they, they got into the inside USC's 30 like nine times and had nine points or so. It was some crazy thing like that. Like it's just all important to get into the red zone and do things. So if you come in and do something different, you bring in somebody else. Uh, yeah, I, I don't agree with that. So we'll, we'll see how they do this weekend, but it's going to be extremely important. If USC struggles again in the red zone, they're not going to beat Stanford. No. Well, somebody said though, and it's not the worst call. They said, thank God there's somebody worse in the red zone than Stanford's David Shaw, who, as, as you said, I think that was the Sark game where they got in there nine times uh, and Sark. ended okay. up with, with 13 points. I mean, they, they didn't score much against either one of the Sark teams or one of, or Ed, Ed's team. But, uh, 
But Sanford's been known to have some of the same issues of doing things differently when they get close or outthinking themselves or whatever or trying this or trying. I mean, they look at last year. How many plays? They had seven plays from inside the whatever it was, five-yard line uh, in the championship game against USC and didn't score. If you remember all those plays that they kept running and they get penalties and the ball, you know, and they just, they couldn't get it in. Uh, and so uh, you got two teams that have kind of a, a similar pedigree as far as uh, scoring the ball when they get close. Matt says, so what is a poor performance from Stanford, a loss by Texas, a loss by Notre Dame, and a loss by UCLA mean for the USC season? I'm sorry, what uh, what would a loss to Stanford and Notre Dame and Texas? Be? No, he's he's basically saying the record of Stanford, Texas, Notre Dame, and UCLA right now uh, for USC. So what does it mean that Texas lost to Maryland, um, UCLA lost to Cincinnati? What does that mean for USC going forward? I mean, does I mean if I mean I, you know what I just think you shouldn't even worry about what worry about yourself. You know, I mean yeah. Notre Dame looked pretty good against uh, Michigan, but you know they're going to be playing here. Uh, you know, I just think it's not, you know, USC just got to worry about USC. I don't think this is a team that should be really influenced by what other people do. I mean, and I think they are too much, uh, but I think they just make them deal with you, not you get all worried about dealing with them. See if, you know, just be the best team. You can be doing the best, smartest things uh, in the most physical way, play faster than they can play, play faster and tougher than they can, they can handle. And at that point you just let it happen. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't worry too much about what everybody else is doing right now. I mean, UCLA, you know, it'll be at the Rose bowl. They may be Oh, and 11. I don't know. And <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, it could if, be the knows? way they played. I mean, well, they just lost to the worst team on their schedule. Yes. probably. No, you're right. They, 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 if you lose to Cincinnati, you can lose to everyone. <laughs> right. So, uh, so you don't even think. Of, I mean, that would be so out in the you know stratosphere as far as what kind of a weird situation that might be. So I don't. I'm not even gonna think about you know those kinds of you know scenarios. And Notre Dame's got to come to you know L.A. and be the the one really good game at the at, at the Coliseum. Um, with people going to be hanging, maybe if USC gets there in a reasonable fashion, there could be people hanging off the construction trying to to watch that game. But uh, uh, but I, yeah, I wouldn't. I would not think about those other teams at this point. You just forget them. Get get yourself right, and uh, let them think about you. You don't need to be spending time thinking about them. And you know, I think the the concern there, Dan, is that. You, you look at an Arizona you thought would be good and they, they played like crap. And, you know, who knows what they're going to do the next few weeks. But uh, does that make that game a little more trappy? Because now you're like not expecting them to be good, but you still have an explosive Khalil Tate. Um, you know, certainly with Notre Dame, uh, you know, if USC is able to run the table at home, that's the one you're looking at there. They look you know all like a top 10 team right now. You know, that would be a huge win at, for Clay Hill at the end of the year if they can keep it up. And, you know, Texas losing to Maryland again. You saw them do it last year and uh, and and gave USC all they could handle at home. So you can't overlook a team like Texas because they lost to Maryland again that had all kinds of their own problems. Uh, and then because you got to go on the road and do it. You expect Tom Herman to come out full bore for, for USC. So 
I agree with you. I don't think you can look at what the other teams are doing. Certainly, you can't let it impact the way you're 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 playing or how you prepare. Yeah, those are perfect examples. Texas played absolutely great at the Coliseum last year after playing absolutely horrible at home in the loss to Maryland. I don't think so. I, I just think the more you spend time thinking about the other team, for example, Notre Dame, they look you know like look like the you know. 1985 Chicago Bears the night USC played them. <laughs> then they go on a few weeks later and get smoked by Stanford, who USC beats twice. So, you know, the more time you spend thinking about what this other team is going to be like when they play you, and really, the only thing you got control of is what you're going to be like, how you're going to play. And I just think it's kind of wasted uh, – you know, energy to be thinking about these other teams and how they're going to be when you, uh, when you run up against them, or is this going to help us? Is it going to hurt us? Is it going to, are we going to look overlook it because they're not any good? Are we going to, you know, not be able to match up with them? Just there's nothing you can do about that. They are going to be whatever they're going to be. You are the thing that you think about, you know, USC just has to be the best USC team they can be and uh, let the rest of it take, take care of itself. And that was, again, one of those great lessons that you learned from the Pete Carroll era was they didn't care about those other teams. They just cared about how were they going to be. And they let the other teams worry about them. And I think that's a pretty good way to go. We have a question from Eric in Duck Country who wonders if JT Daniels' connection with Amon Ra St. Brown will prove to be an advantage or will it prevent him from developing chemistry with other receivers? Okay, put down the phone and walk away from your computer and just relax, okay? Just having that great connection with Almond Raw is a great thing. And you just get everybody there. That's all you do. I mean, come on. Just, you know, everybody says, hey, I'd like to have that same connection. Uh, it, it's going to come. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, these guys had a, a real big head start on, on things. And the three-way, you know, as good as everybody wanted to be in terms of being fair and all of that with the three-way quarterback competition, you've got a lot fewer throws from JT to everybody else uh, than he's made to, you know, Amon Ra in their career. So it's going to take a little time. But it's not, for, you know, it's not a case of JT's not going to want to throw the ball to Tyler or he's not going to want to throw the ball to Michael. He's going to want to throw it to who's ever open. And you just got to, you know, get them, you know, running enough stuff. So they, I mean, I was pretty disappointed last week on Wednesday's pass heavy day that it wasn't very pass heavy and it wasn't very uh, competitive. And I didn't think they got any better. And that showed a little bit uh, Saturday. I thought, you know, the Wednesday before was a terrific practice where they, everybody got to throw the ball and everybody got to catch it and they were defended well. And I think that's got to be the standard for this team, uh, you know, going forward. And, uh, and we'll see. But uh, I don't think you can, you know, ease up because, you know, maybe last week you did a pretty good job. You know, no, you got to gotta get better every week. And, and, and JT's got to get on the same page. Tyler didn't have any explanation after the game why they weren't on the same page. He just, he just said it was just one of those things. It just, because they've been pretty much on the same page in practice. 
I mean, they've thrown the ball. I mean, JT and Tyler have, have really hooked up well in practice. So that was a little bit inexplicable, but, uh, but, but they got to, you know, make sure that doesn't happen again. As far as the panic that you mentioned and people stepping away from the, their computers, just looking at, we have a lot of questions, but a lot of it is just people panicking and it's people saying, what do we take away from Saturday's game? How much is this team the same as what we saw last season? How much should we get our hopes up, et cetera, et cetera? What do you say to those people, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I do think the looking at this team and saying, uh-oh, I recognize last year's team. And I think that's where, you know, people you know get a little, little nervous. Uh, I think this team's different. Uh, JT's different. JT's a lot different than, than Sam Darnold was. Um, and I think, I think the three running backs, uh, replace Ronald. I think, uh, uh, Amon Ra replaces Deontay. I think the offensive line looked kind of like, you know, last year's offensive line. So I know, you know, there's that thought of, are we making progress or not? Are we just kind of treading water? And, uh, I think what has to happen is they have to get better this week and next week and the week after. And a lot of that ha- will happen in practice. How do they approach this? How, you know, and a lot of that's up to what do the coaches see? What do they feel? What do they know? Um, and it didn't seem to happen last year. They just kind of got to a place and that's kind of where they were. And if they had better players, they win and eventually maybe really close, but, uh, but you don't want to see that this year. You want to see where there's sort of a, a trajectory where they get better week by week by week. They get more physical, more aggressive, more tough-minded. Uh, and, you know, I mean, obviously they still have time. And, and even last year, by far the best game they played of the year was the second game, you know, second week of the season and um, with Stanford. And then they kind of didn't hit that plateau. Certainly the offensive line didn't ever hit that hit that spot again. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, I could see why if you're a fan of USC, I wouldn't panic, but I, you might look at it and say, Hmm, I got some questions here and I'm not sure I got answers. Uh, let's see what happens this week and next week. And you'll know a lot more. I, I thought we might know a little bit more after the, uh, first game than, than we did. I mean, I think we, for example, we knew going in, JT's the real deal and Amon Ra's the real deal, which is what you saw in the game. That's how they practice. Uh, you saw other things, you know, that, that are the way they practice. So we saw some unbelievably good things. Velas Jones, I mean, that was tremendous. Chase McGrath, tremendous. Uh, a lot of really, you know, a lot of pluses. No pass interferences. No delay of games. No really dumb penalties. Uh, you know, so I think there was progress, but maybe not what everybody hoped for. Tark wants to know how much did not having Toa Lobendon hurt the offensive line on Saturday? I don't know if it did. I, I really don't know. Toa's really never played center. Um, and um, I don't know that there's been a noticeable difference in practice when he's been in there or not. Um I thought, you know, I thought Brett Dillon, you know, looked like he, he did fine, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So, 
So I don't know that there's any one guy on that offensive line. I think it's just those five guys playing together. And I, I didn't quite see them as aggressive as getting off the ball as, as, as quick as I'd like. Whenever they would pull somebody, I just didn't see them getting to where you wanted them to be and having that, you know, impact, uh, getting to the block, uh, you know, when they would on a screen pass or, or any, you know, the, the fly, you know, where they uh, would run, you know, Vilas on a sweep or whatever, uh, they they need to get sharper. I didn't I didn't see an offensive line that was as sharp as you'd like to see it, or as tough as you'd like to see it. But uh, but but I don't think it was any like one guy's situation at all. Don wants to know who is more realistic about assessing the team's performance, Clay Hilton or the players. That's a really good question. Yeah, who would be so? Huh. I think the players. That's a really good question. You think the players are a little more realistic? Well, it depends which players. If you're talking yeah, to Cameron yeah. Smith <laughs> or or Port Augustine or a lot of those seniors on defense, they might it might be interesting if they really just were able to just flat out tell you what they're thinking. Um, I thought Clay. Okay, I was not happy with the first twelve things that he said were all positive after the game. I thought that was, but then we got a lot to fix. So. His tune had changed by the time he got on to Sunday's conference call. He didn't go there. I mean, he talked about, you know, you'd be surprised if you had a, you know, a new quarterback and blah, blah. But, and he got right into, we got to fix a lot of things fast. So he watched the film and I don't think the film, I think the film made him a little more queasy about this week and how they had done. So, there wasn't as nearly as much uh, positive talk about the game a day later from Clay, which is a good thing. I mean, if, you know, just try to imagine uh, Nick Saban was the coach at USC and what his post-game assessment would have been like. You know, yeah. I'm not saying you want to go to Nick Saban, and we all saw the Nick Saban interview with Maria Taylor, and nobody wants that, even including Nick Saban. But uh, – uh, it's just, I'm not sure you need to tell them how good they are or what they did well. You assume that. I think you need to tell them, we got to get better in this area, this, 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 and this, or else we don't have any time. We got, you know, so that's probably the, the thing you would like to almost hear first is we didn't get this done. We didn't get this done. We talked about doing this. We didn't. We talked about doing this. We didn't. And I might even say, You'd like Clay sometimes to say, we coaches didn't get it done this week. We got to do a better job. We don't hear that maybe as much as I'd like to. One of the, sometimes when it's a bigger issue, you might get the players kind of regurgitating the talking points yeah. from the coaches. So if it was whatever, if like the, the, the ball not getting out quick enough when there was a lot of sacks going on. There was, you know, some spin, you know, behind the scenes about, well, it was more of the quarterbacks not getting rid of the ball fast enough instead of the offensive line. And you kind of get that. But it, it's easier to get the players on like off things that aren't really like a, a huge talking point, because sometimes I'm not saying they're being coached up, but there's a narrative behind the scenes that you're going to hear about. Well, it also depends on how long the player has been in the system. The longer you are, the more you get media coached on what to <laughs> say. Um, and also, how many times have you been interviewed by the media? They're more 
savvy if they've been interviewed a lot versus Brett Nealon after the game told Dan, oh yeah, I was told yeah. on Tuesday <laughs> that I, I was going to be starting center and, and Clay Helton told us all week, oh, I might be toe, I'm not sure, but, right. but he, Brett Nealon knew the whole time. <laughs> but he had no idea he wasn't supposed to say that. Yeah, so I just yeah. Said, well, when did you know you were going to, oh, they told me on Tuesday, 99% sure I was going to start. <laughs> it was like, he wasn't trying to, you know, he didn't know he wasn't supposed to maybe say that or that didn't yeah. exactly uh, follow the, uh, you know, and you could see why the coaches wouldn't want to say it because now you're telling, you know, LV, they're not only going to have a, you know, an 18 year old freshman in his first start at quarterback, they're going to have a, you know, whatever, a 19 year old, you know, redshirt freshman in his first start at, you know, at center. And I could see fudging that one a little bit, but maybe not after you've told the guy he's 99% sure he's going to start. Uh, I mean, I think it was obvious once they said, and we weren't there at practice Thursday, but once he said, you know, Toa didn't practice, he wasn't playing. I mean, it was, that was like so obvious. And as Keeley picked up on it, uh, the Thursday before when, when Clay told us that, uh, that he got, uh, Toa having a problem with that, uh, strained pack, and he didn't have to tell us that. And he could have waited, you know, through, uh, he wasn't going to see us until the next Tuesday. He could have waited to see how that played out. The fact that he thought he needed to tell us that last Thursday, as Kelly said, that was the big tip-off, that he knew this wasn't going away probably, uh, and he was preparing us for for what was going to happen. Which begs the question, did. I wonder if he's going to be out here this week. Is this something that plagues Toa for a while? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't – yeah, I don't think he – it's not an automatic. I mean, I don't think those are things that necessarily heal up quickly. I mean, you're talking about a really big muscle and, you know, there's not always a great way to, to get the, you know, the healing going there. And it really impacts, especially if you're a center. And I'm just guessing it might be the right, uh, you know, on the right side. That really impacts your, your, your snapping as well. Um, so. So I don't know even if it impacts the fact that what position is Toa going to play when he comes back. I mean, maybe maybe it's not not the kind of thing that's conducive to playing center. I mean, I think there are a lot of questions about Toa. Yes. Yeah, we have a question from Jack in uh, New Jersey. I was going to say North Jersey. That's not the same thing. North Jersey. <laughs> North. Maybe he is from North Jersey. There's a, there's a South Jersey, and then there's a Central Jersey. So. They have, they are di- three distinctly different cultures, to be honest with you. So, uh, yeah, South Jersey is, uh, Philly. North Jersey is New York City. And Central Jersey is kind of farmland from, you know, across to Atlantic City. It's the garden state there. So oh, I know my New Jersey. Yeah. Jersey, uh, geography lesson right there. Uh, he wants to know, did we read the, D- the Dylan McCullough ESPN article, uh, yes. that came out over the weekend? It was amazing. So good. Yeah, one of the coolest yeah. stories you're going to go check it. I haven't seen the E60 yet. I want to watch I that. I haven't either. How do you, we see the replay? <laughs> yeah, because I didn't sit. I don't. Yeah, I don't It know. was on last night after the um, after the uh, college football oh, game. Really? Um, and, I they ran it really late. It was like an hour later. Oh. But, uh, yeah. I think it was, it'll, be, uh, it'll be on demand at some point. Like, yeah. It'll yeah. be on demand without a doubt. Yeah, it was good. I wish they would have. The one area don't I, spoil I mean, the it, whole Dan. story was so unbelievable, but uh, uh, and to get to see you know the mom who gave him up and, and her talking about it, and to see Sherman Smith, who you know, I had you know 
was a guy at Xavier, you know, Xavier, we still had football and then the SID and, and Sherman Smith was one of the great players. I mean, they, those Miami teams were good enough. They went to, I guess, two straight bowl games and just ran Florida off the field. I mean, that's how good they were. I mean, he, they were really good. I mean, they weren't uh, your typical mid-American team. Yeah, Miami of Ohio, third. not Miami. Like, Miami so of Ohio, yeah, right. Yeah. Miami of Ohio was, uh, they were so good. But uh, but to know that that guy ends up being wait uh, wait we I don't mean, want to do oh, spoiler alert. Oh, I'm sorry. Alert. I'm sorry. Anyway, he's in the story. Anyway, <laughs> I warned you, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, spoiler it's alert. Really, uh, that's I. Although the one thing I wish is they could have told you more of Delan's story of of uh, you know surviving after you know getting his knee torn up and probably really had had a great start with the Bengals his first year uh, leading the whole NFL in, in preseason and, and rushing and then tearing his knee up and then helping start basically a, uh, an inner city school football program in Cincinnati, a charter school, and, and not only becoming the football coach who starts the football program, becomes the principal and did so many wonderful, I mean, Dylan did just an unbelievable job uh, in Cincinnati as this school principal and, and, founding football coach and all and they just didn't have maybe enough time to do that but but you would have liked to maybe uh, have seen what kind of a really great guy he's turned out to be i mean just to show his whole um his whole life and they, they didn't quite get to do that but the story is so remarkably unbelievable you almost can't make a movie out of it because nobody believe it yeah be like yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> it, it, it couldn't happen that was funny <laughs> just, when i had lunch so we had a. Uh, you know, Cowherd on the thing. And we were talking about that because we had Dylan McCullough in this studio or the other studio. Um, and the same day that Colin came in for a podcast. So, and Dylan told me, he's like, I'm a big fan of his. So it's like, well, we overlapped it so they could meet and they had a really good time and Dylan loved it and stuff. But he was saying, and so Colin and I were talking about it a lot afterwards. And he's like, that's one of those things where they wouldn't believe the movie. Like you couldn't, you couldn't pitch that. Cause like that, that would never happen. You can't, this would not work as a movie, which is, whole, you know, it's crazy. It's real life. You know, what else I'm thinking is when the, the key thing that happens in the story happened one day when Dylan was in practice at USC yeah, and went out and got the phone call and you wonder what day was that? Yeah. What was, what was he like? You know, what, what all you'd like to be able to go back and try to remember it was what the week was of the like bye week. It was a bye week. It was a bye week because it, it was it was the week of Thanksgiving, and that was the bye week. But they're prepping okay. for for the Pac-12 championship game that week. And meanwhile, you're trying to figure out who your parents are, your biological parents are. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Okay, so it was that week. Okay, so that's even. I believe yeah. so. Okay, that that makes the most sense actually, uh, as far as the timing. But just because we were, you know, you watched him. He was such a great coach that he you couldn't not watch them practice uh, the way he practiced. And they showed him at the Kansas City Chiefs doing some of those same drills with the boxing glove on the on the you know on the stick and all the kinds of stuff that that he did. But uh, he's what an amazing story. I mean, to me, just dealing himself is an amazing story. Then you put the rest of it together and you just think, holy. How does that happen? Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Um, John asks, is it a good thing that USC 
is playing Stanford in the second week. We talked about it in the beginning. It's pretty early for Stanford-ish. Is it good for USC to have that, that test early in the season? Well, it gives you something to shoot for, and it's the kind of game that if you've got better athletes than they've got, you ought to have a chance to win. You're playing them before their students get in school. Uh, they don't always have that great uh, you know, fan following, and USC's fans like to go up there. So there are some things that you can take advantage of. I mean, the biggest problem is Washington already lost for the Pac-12. So they're moving to the bottom of the top 10 as a potential uh, uh, college football playoff team. And now you've got your other two teams who you could say, well, these are the other two Pac-12 teams uh, that are going to be in the, you know, possibly in the college football playoff uh, race. And one of them may be eliminated on week two. And, you know, you also got a league where, People will say that Bryce Love and Khalil Tate both got eliminated from the Heisman race and their opener. Uh, I'm not sure that's absolutely true, but, but it was a, it's not the way a, a smart league starts out. It's not the way the SEC starts out. It's not the way the Big Ten starts out. And you got to do better than that uh, if you're the uh, Pac 12 and you want somebody nationally to you know to pay attention to you you do not take out i mean it's like alabama having to play lsu next week no they're not going to do that they're not that stupid i mean are you kidding me but here you go usc and stanford so that'll be one one fewer uh you know pac-12 team that has a chance to you know really hang in there in the in the top 10 all year all right well i think we're going to wrap it up i know we have we have more questions, right, Keely? There's a lot, but it's a lot of people just being concerned and then saying their concerns to me, like Dan, what do we do? <laughs> right. Well, we'll, maybe we'll Not, send them. We'll send them to Dan, and he can address them in a column or something, maybe. Or maybe. Yeah. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, we're all concerned. I think it's just there's nothing you can do about it other than hope everybody figures it out and and gets on the right page and and, and gets moving in the right direction this week because then you got a chance to get back and really get you know, get yourself righted because you do play a Stanford. I mean, that's the plus about playing Stanford. That was always the plus about Pete's teams. When you opened uh, against Auburn a couple of times or Virginia Tech or, um, um, let's see, who else, Arkansas early, uh, and people like that, uh, you got a chance to, you know, make your mark right away. And so here you go. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up. Uh, we got to let Keely and Dan both get off to uh, USC football practice this afternoon. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay home. Well, I'm gonna stay in the studio and do a recruiting podcast because we've had a lot of requests for those. So for our VIP members, we'll uh, have Gerard Martinez on talking some of that. So we'll do that next. But uh, thanks so much to everyone, Uh, Keely, Dan. Thank you guys. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you guys when we see you. Yeah, sounds good. (laughs) That's uh, Keely, that's Dan, I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.